It's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey. Good morning, and also shout out to those of you joining us via our podcast. Uh, This last month, we had uh, a mover um, into the top three. So uh, in the month of March, uh, USA was actually number one uh, country of of listeners. Number two was Australia. Um, Perhaps you've heard of them. And uh, up to number three was Germany. So uh, it's wunderbar to have our German online family joining us via our podcast. Great that we get to connect with you and be part of this journey together. Today we're launching a brand new series that we've called, What Are You Expecting? Now, just a little bit of inside baseball. When we were coming up with this series, initially it was called, Are You Expecting? <laughs> let, me just, let me just say, speaking from personal experience, never, ever say to a female, never be the first to volunteer this question, Are You Expecting? Just, even if you suspect they are, say nothing. I'm speaking from personal experience. Um, So to avoid that, we've called this series, What Are You Expecting? Now, anybody uh, had any experience buying and assembling furniture from Ikea? Anybody? Uh, Andrew, I know you have. Andrew's got some very impressive uh, uh, recent uh, photos to to show you if you are interested. the last house that Louis and I moved into, I uh, created the, the third bedroom, turned it into my home office, and I wanted to put some bookshelves together. So the obvious choice was these uh, Billy bookcases. Now, Billy bookcases were launched uh, by IKEA in 1979. They've sold over 60 million units worldwide. So I'm thinking, can't be that hard to put together. There's 60 million people around the world that have, you know, allegedly uh, assembled said uh, Billy bookcases. And uh, so, you know. I, I, I kind of saw images like this online about how they should look once the assembly process has been completed. Um, however, IKEA instructions are terrible. It, it's like, to me, when I look at them, it's like Mr. IKEA just found the nearest kid who had a set of crayons and said, just draw something useless. And then they put them in their flat pack and ship them off and we're supposed to, with, with an Allen key, one, and then we're supposed to magically know, what is this? Might as well be written in Cantonese for all I'm concerned. Um, and so I go through this assembly process of my brand new Billy Book cases and this is what I ended up with. I think it's not, it just, yeah, so... Uh, now, let's just say this, that I had expectations up here and yet my experience ultimately resided here. And it's this gap that produces disappointment, okay? Now, here's the thing about, the thing about disappointment, the, the myth with disappointment, the myth is that we get disappointed when things uh, go wrong. And the reality is that's not what produces disappointment because our disappointment's not based on how things turned out. Our disappointment's based on how we expected things to turn out. Because by the way, and if you're a cynical Susan, you know this, you perhaps, when things don't work out, you say to yourself, yeah, well, that figures. Oh yeah, happens to me all the time. And so you are never disappointed. 
because your expectations are always set at ground zero. And here's the problem. If you are someone that likes to set, you know, reasonably high expectations, you're a bit of an optimist. You're like, yeah, let's, you know, believe for the best. Let's hope for more. Let's hope for something better. Uh, And then your experience doesn't match up with your expectations. Then guess what? Disappointment resides in that gap. And if this happens too often, if your experience doesn't live up to your expectations, the temptation is to just ratchet down our expectations to prevent us ever feeling disappointed. Here's someone tweeted this out in January. My New Year's resolution is to be more efficient. So I'm giving up on it right now instead of wasting all January acting like I can achieve it. See, there is somebody who just ratcheted down their expectations and guess what? They were met. No hint of disappointment right there. But if we start, you know, we can start ratcheting down our expectations. Our career's not playing out the way we thought it would. Well, let's just ratchet down our expectations. Our marriage isn't going so great. Let's just ratchet down our expectations. Our kids, they're going a little bit bonkers at the moment, a bit sideways. Let's just ratchet down our expectations. Our health, our, our commitment to eliminate personal financial debt. It's not quite going as fast or as well as we thought. So let's just ratchet down our expectations. And yeah, that might safeguard us against disappointment, but is this really the best that God's called us to? Is this really us as God's kids actually expecting what the children of a king would expect? So maybe, and this is my pro tip, instead of us ratcheting back our expectations when people and circumstances don't kind of meet our expectations, Maybe there's a better way. And over these next five weeks, I actually want to teach, and Steve Hall is going to teach as well, teach about some things that would point us to something better, something that we can expect, and probably even I could go as far as to say something that we ought to expect or some things that we ought to expect. Now, if you've got your Bible app uh, or your Kuthunk Bible and you can see it in the dark, uh, iPhone Torches are permitted. Um, open it to Exodus chapter 34. Now, this part of the Bible is the old part of the Bible. Uh, in church world, we, we call this the Old Testament. So if you hear me say Old Testament, it just means like the first kind of two-thirds, the before Jesus kind of time uh, that things were written. And in Exodus chapter 34, which is the second of, of the, the books of the Old Testament, um, Exodus 34, uh, I'm gonna drop us into a verse which actually, not only is written in Exodus chapter 34, but this verse is also the most quoted verse from the Old Testament by other writers in the Old Testament, which suggests that God didn't just wanna drop this truth bomb on the people at the time that this was written in Exodus chapter 34, something that he wanted them to know, but actually, Generation after generation after generation after generation, God prompted another author to quote this very thing that God spoke in this moment in history. And actually God spoke five truths, five critical truths that he wanted these people to know, the Israelites who were escaping from slavery. He wanted them to know that and he wanted every generation that followed to know this. So he kept on Repeating it, repeating it, repeating it, inspiring another author to quote it, another author to quote it, another author to quote it. 
And I would contend that these same five truths that God dropped on these people and quoted again and again and again and again and again throughout history, generation after generation after generation, that you and I, God would want us to know them as well. So over these next five weeks, starting today, the five truths that God dropped on these people and reminded people throughout history again and again, He wants to instill in us so that we would actually raise our expectations, okay? So here's the backstory before I drop the truths that God put in Exodus chapter 34. The, the backstory is that the nation of Israel, which at that time was, was God's chosen people, God's chosen nation, they had been living captives in Egypt. They were living as slaves in Egypt for centuries. And finally, God kind of made a way where there wasn't a way and actually got them out of slavery, got them out of Egypt. And not only got them out, because God doesn't just always, doesn't just bring us out of places. He actually promised them a land, a land that was better, a land that they were free, a land that was flowing with milk and honey. And the grapes were so big, you couldn't even eat one in one sitting. This incredible place, God was taking them from somewhere and wanting to deliver them to somewhere. And right at this moment in history, they were in the middle. They were in this space. They were being led by a guy named Moses. And they're in this space. And they're in this space. And uh, let's just say things weren't, their experience wasn't living up to their expectations. I mean, when you're the people that God says, you're my people, well, that's a good start. Imagine being called that of all the nations on the earth. You're my chosen people. Or, well, you, that's gonna get your expectations up. Then God finally breaks them out of Egypt. Well, that's gonna get your expectations up. God's showing them this vision, this picture of this promised land. Well, that gets your uh, expectations up. And yet here they were in the middle, in the desert, in the wilderness, wandering around and things weren't going the way that, he, that they had expected. And I wonder if any of these sorts of things may sound familiar to any of you. Ah, oh, it's taking too long. No, okay, okay, I get it. None of you have ever said that. So maybe I'm preaching for a friend. Uh, well, this isn't how I would have done it. Oh, but God, you promised. And so we get this nation that became what us Aussies call a bunch of whinges. And they're whinging to Moses and they're whinging to each other. And by the way, at one point, they said, you know what, let's just go back. I mean, going back to slavery has got to be better than this. And it's like, what? Not only that, they even started to worship other gods. Like their God wasn't kind of getting it done the way they had expected. So they started turning to other gods. In fact, they even created their own. They actually molded and, and built a golden calf right, like a, a cow, and they started worshipping the golden calf, including, right, this. They actually said this. This is on record. They said to this golden calf that they had created, behold the God who brought us out of Egypt. Like, what? This thing didn't even exist two weeks ago. So it appeared as if things were about to come off the hinges, which they were. And so God staged an intervention, and he said this. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, that's me, hello, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. 
See, God's own chosen people had started, they thought their best play was to lower their expectations. And so God staged an intervention and he dropped five truths on them. I am the God of compassion. I feel for you because you're my children. I'm the God of mercy. I will act towards you based on how I feel about you. I am slow to anger. In other words, I've got a long fuse. You've got to be grateful about that sometimes. I have unfailing love, meaning I can do what I promised, and I'm faithful, meaning I will do what I promised. And he dropped these five truths on them, and then those same five truths have been repeated generation after generation after generation, and it's for these next five weeks that we're gonna drill into this. One verse, one moment in history, one slice of the entire Bible where God drops these five things, because if... If we understand who God is, then we can raise our expectations about what He is both willing and able to do because His doing comes out of His being. And, little spoiler, thankfully, the Israelites ratcheted back up their expectations based on them saying, oh yeah, that's right, seems we forgot. You're the God of compassion and mercy, slow to anger, full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Uh, one of Louise and my best friends, her name's Louise, uh, lives in Southern California. Her and her husband have been close friends of ours for a couple of decades. And uh, she has uh, four kids, and three of them are grown adults, married, still one at home. Um, and I affectionately call her Mama Bear, and she loves me calling her Mama Bear. And I call her Mama Bear because just she is probably the most devoted mom that I know of all the moms I know. And I'm not telling you that you're not good either, but it, it, she's exceptional. Uh, just the, the, the attention she gives her kids and the investment she makes in them and the time that she devotes to them, it's, it's just extraordinary. I call her, her mama bear. I also call her mama bear because, by the way, if, if you've ever uh, poked a, a mama bear in the wild, uh, you'll know they don't take kindly to you um, threatening their children and they will actually eat you alive. Uh, and she's got both of those qualities, this, and, and it's all birthed out of the same motivation, the same devotion, that she will nurture you and she will protect you with a ferocity that only a mom can do. And so today, I wanna talk about this first thing, expect God's compassion. And the reason I shared the story about Louise, Mama Bear, is because the word compassion actually comes from the same root word, which means out of the womb. And it's this picture that God feels for us as his children the way a mom feels for her children. And, and when we understand, and I know not all moms live up to this, I, I get it, and I'm, I'm, I don't have time to kind of teach on how to be a great mom, not that I'm qualified. Uh, but, but I'm talking about if God, you know, the best mom, the, that God actually has that for us, for his children, the way a great mom has for her children. And, and, and you know this if you know a great mom or if you have a great mom or if you are a great mom, that there's some things that only a mama knows and there's some things that only a mama will do. In fact, there's this time in history which was like, <laughs> and some of you will, will be familiar with this event, um, and it's an extraordinary lesson on so many levels. I can only take it in one direction this morning, but it's, it's an extraordinary lesson on so many levels. 
there was these two women. Uh, they happened to be prostitutes. They happened to live in the same house together, and they both got pregnant around the same time, and they both therefore gave birth around the same time. Their babies were only a few days apart. And uh, back in that uh, time in history, um, the, 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 the mom, the new mom, would actually sleep with the baby in the same bed. And so these two women were in this household. They both had their own babies with them in their own respective beds. And unfortunately, during the night, one of the mums had rolled over and, and, and laid and suffocated her baby. And she discovered that immediately when she was devastated, as you'd expect. Uh, but then she had a sneaky idea. And her idea was that she would take her dead baby and actually go and swap it during the night with the other baby and, you know, hoping that that mum wouldn't notice. Well, the mum that had slept through the night wakes up to find a dead baby, but mums, even if the baby's only a few weeks old and looks like Mini-Me uh, from Austin Powers, uh, mums know the difference between two babies, and so the mum immediately recognised that, that the dead baby wasn't her baby. And so what you would do in those sorts of disputes in that time in history is you would present your case before the king. And the king in that moment in history was a guy named Solomon, often referred to as the wisest person who's ever lived, except for Jesus, who kind of trumped him later on. Uh, but he was the king at the time. And so these two women brought the live baby before the king. And they both pled their case. This is my baby. No, no, this is my baby. And, you know, back in those days, they didn't have a, the ways to prove it, you know, DNA testing and so on. And so King Solomon says, I, I know how we'll get this one resolved. Uh, bring me a sword. And you know, when you're the king, you can just summon a sword anytime you want. Bring me a sword. And so they, his uh, minions brought him a sword. He said, now give me the baby and I'm gonna slice the baby in half and I'm gonna give one half to one of the women and I'm gonna give the other half to the other women and then you're all, you're all equal. You're all even, you can go. Then the woman who was the real mother of the living child and who loved him very much cried out, oh no, my Lord, Give her the child. Please do not kill him. But the other woman said, the sneaky one, all right, <laughs> sure. He will be neither yours nor mine. Divide him between us. <laughs> Thankfully, Solomon then went on to declare, the one who was willing to give up the child is the child's real mother. Give the child to her. But this woman was willing to give up her child, knowing that it was her child, so that that child would live, even if would live as the child of this other woman. And this phrase, who loved him very much, can be translated compassion. That the mother felt this, the, this enormous amount of compassion Compassion is not a weak word. You know, we think of compassion. Compassion is not a weak word. Compassion is a strong word. It's a strong response. And in this case, it was so strong that she was actually willing to give up her child because of the compassion that she felt. And God's connected to us in a way that a mother like this is, was connected to her child. God's connected to us. And, and, and the picture that God, when he turned up to the Israelites and said, I'm the God of compassion, they would have understood. And, and not only would they have understood, it might have actually initially come as a little bit strange to them because gods in that day were aloof. 
gods in that day were distant. In fact, the fact that they were gods meant that they sort of resided above and away and disconnected from the people. Like you're just people and I'm God and I'm gonna remind you of that every day by keeping you beyond arm's length from me. And then God inserts himself in history and declares, I'm the God of compassion. I feel for you, I feel towards you. I wanna have this sort of intimacy with you. I wanna I want know I'm gonna treat you the way a great mother treats her children. That would have blown their minds. That, that God, one of the things that differentiated him from the other gods is he wanted to have a close, personal, intimate relationship with his children. And, and that still rings true today. God is different from the other gods. God is interested. God wants to be intimate. God is for you. And, and maybe today we could still talk about the gods of other religions, but seeing as I'm talking here to a group of people who are mostly Jesus followers, uh, I might not be talking about the, the God of other religions to you, but, but there are other gods at your disposal that can compete for your attention and my attention, that we can start worshiping if we're not careful. Korea, making that number one. God says, you'll have no other gods before me. Well, you know, come on, God, number two's not bad. Korea one, you two, I mean, you're still in the top three, mate. Money, stuff. Some people put their marriage ahead of God and, and, and some people put their kids ahead of God. Some people put where they live ahead. I mean, there's a whole bunch of gods that we create just like the Israelites created this golden calf. And, and God says, you know what? In and of themselves, they aren't necessarily bad things, but to worship them and to devote yourself to them, you need to know they are not going to love you back in the way a mother loves their children. They're not gonna love you back. They're not gonna give you the sort of compassion that I am both willing and able to give you. Now, I was thinking about this during the week. I wonder if just today, is there a footy game on today? Doc is right, who cares? Uh, uh, listen, mate, I am, I am a recovering Docker's supporter. I mean, it was 15 years, and then I, my therapist said, just give it up, mate. It's... But I wonder if we went to like the, you know, a footy game, and uh, we all sort of spread out and, and just took a little survey. Of any, just a bunch of randos, just took a survey, just, just a one-question survey. Went up to somebody, hi, my name's Mark. This, just, sorry, I'm gonna sound like a weirdo, but give me 20 seconds, and I'll promise you'll never have to see me again. Um, I just wanna ask you a question. If God existed, and I'm not gonna ask you whether you think he does or doesn't, just, just, just play along with me for a second. But, but if he did, if he did, let's just pretend for a second he did. If he did, Based on your kind of notion of what a, what a God might kind of look like, what a God might kind of do, what do you think his number one kind of emotion would be? What's the sort of thing that you would kind of expect that would kind of voluntarily come out on a regular basis for him? And, and, I, and I'm thinking to myself, I, I can't a answer this accurately because I've been a Jesus follower since I was 21, but just to say, I wonder if some people might say disinterested. That's, that's how the God that I have in my brain, if he existed, that's kind of what I think his default emotion, just disinterested, like you, who cares? Um, disappointed that he just looks at what I do and the dumb things I say and just looks at my life and says, please. Uh, or this one, this is maybe even more classic, he's angry. 
He's just, he's this angry guy. He just wants to throw lightning rods at me all the time. And I just, I just wonder, I don't know, but I just wonder if those are some of the things that might come up. But here's the, here's the important thing that we can understand is Jesus, when he walked the earth, he declared, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. So, so what we can do is we can actually look at who Jesus was. We can actually look at Jesus' default responses in, circum, in circumstances. And we can draw a very direct straight line to say, yeah, that's exactly how God is. And did you know then, and I went to Bible college, so you wouldn't have to. Did you know that Jesus' number one emotional response time after time situation after situation, person after person, was compassion. That he, he would meet somebody who had lowered their expectations or life wasn't living up to their expectations and he would feel compassion for them. He would see somebody whose life was less than God's best and he would feel compassion for them. And here's the great news. His compassion that he felt would almost always then lead to an active response on his behalf. It wasn't merely a there, there, just a little pat, little stroke. It's, I know, it sucks. Yeah, I get it. I'm Jesus. And that's the end of this. And so here's what I'm going to do. And he did some like wild and crazy stuff. Wild and crazy stuff. Birthed out of the compassion he regularly felt for people, culminating in what we celebrated last week. You know, last week, the week, the week leading up to Easter in some churches is called Holy Week, which is whatever. Um, it's also in some settings called Passion Week. And it's not the sort of passion that people demonstrate at the footy. In this case, the word passion means to suffer that it's a week that was leading up to Jesus' suffering. Compassion means a desire to free others from their suffering. So Jesus went through passion, birthed out of compassion, a compassion for you and towards you and a compassion for me and towards me. And here's the thing, uh, about what can we expect when it comes to God. The things we can expect are the things God promised. Other stuff he might like add in as bonus stuff. <laughs> but the bedrock is always what he promised. And the bedrock of what he promised he will do is always built on who he declares that he is. And so he is a God of compassion, mercy. He's slow to anger, which we'll talk about in week three, and some of you are like, thank God for that. Uh, unfailing love and faithful. So next week, I've been promising to preach this message for a few months. I'm gonna preach on the second of these things that we can expect God's favor, God's mercy. So I want you to be here for that. I want you to bring someone for that because there's some people in your world that actually have, probably, uh, have some notion of who God is. But if it's a bit wonky, then they're gonna miss out. I mean, that's just the reality. Same for us. So uh, we're gonna give 
we're going to take a pretty deep dive, five weeks on one verse. Is it even possible? Well, I guess we'll find out. We really hope you've got a lot out of this message. If you live in the Perth area, we'd love for you to join one of our live experiences. For times and directions, as well as information, head to our website, elevatechurch.me. For those of you beyond the Perth area, we'd love for you to connect with our online experience, which premieres every Sunday via YouTube and Facebook Live and on demand immediately after. And to partner with us to reach more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me and also download our Elevate Church AU app.